The I'm Fine podcast is produced by Lemoore Media LLC and is run by Project Headspace and Timing. Project Headspace and Timing is a 501c3 that I started in 2017 after a veteran that I was a medic to decided to pull over on the side of the road and end his life. As an organization, Project Headspace and Timing works on veteran advocacy and veteran outreach. What that means is through the advocacy uh, perspective, we try to connect veterans to other resources as early on into the process as possible. What that entails is early contact with veterans, forming a safety net with their family members, friends, and fellow service members, educating them on the resources, and when that veteran is ready to get help, we are there to make sure that they get the help that they need. The outreach aspect is put there to get veterans together to do productive and constructive things, whether it's out in nature, working with other businesses, anything to get them out around other veterans where those good conversations can happen if they want to have them. If you are interested in finding out more information about our organization, please visit projectheadspaceandtiming.org, our Facebook page, Project Headspace and Timing, or our Instagram, which is Project Headspace and Timing. And if you would like to donate to our organization, uh, please visit our website, projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Scroll to the bottom and you will find a link to our Venmo. If you'd like to send us a check, our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 382, Mantino, Illinois, 60950. And if you'd like to sponsor or have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me at Eric P. P. is in Paul, at projectheadspaceandtiming.org. Thank you. Welcome to the I'm Fine podcast. Um, on today's podcast, uh, Eric and I will sit down and talk about overcoming adversities, and we have special guest Lonnie Bedwell, who shares his story. Welcome to the I'm Fine podcast with your freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional hosts, Eric Peterson and Brad Stozik. Happy or now we're post Christmas, but still, so we're recording this before New Year's. But if you're listening to this episode, Happy New Year's! Uh, I cannot before we get into anything else. I really wanted to take a quick second. Uh, we were talking earlier before we started shooting. Just you know, we kind of forgot just because of how fast everything's been flying by. But like, we've been doing this podcast since what June. I think it was either it June, June or July was our first episode. Yeah. June or July. Yep. And we just finished out, you know, year one of doing this podcast. It's been so incredible. Uh, and none of this would have been possible if we didn't have so many incredible people that have been listening, that have written to us, um, texted us, called us, posted messages up, post comments up. Um, it's been really incredible. And so I really want to thank everybody out there i want to thank our listeners for for just really making sure that we know that we're we're on the right path um we never started this to make any money from it nope. we never started this for any other reason other than we thought it just needed to be done and when people reach out to us letting us know hey i listened to the episode about grief i just lost my mom my dad hey uh, i'm going through some mental health issues of my own i just i found your podcast i started listening to it thank you so much um i cannot thank you guys enough so a couple of the people a few of the people that i've i've seen really following us and really posting a lot i just wanted to thank 
uh, Tom Meyer, Sue Hornung, Cindy Scripter. Uh, thank you guys. I've, I've just, I really cannot tell you all enough how much we appreciate getting that kind of feedback. And we just got uh, a review on our Facebook page from uh, Brandon Jensen. Brandon, thank you very much those kind words do you have anybody else you wanted to thank um i want to thank sam uh sam boss and kevin zazetti um they reach out or sam does anyway quite a bit uh, mm -hmm. about um how much this has impacted her so i'd like to thank her and everybody else listening oh yeah I'd, I'd like to thank um obviously the support from amanda as well um from my wife and, oh, no, i'm gonna thank my wife shit oh sorry <laughs> I to thank my wife hey I, I gotta thank my wife she i mean she's been my rock for this she's helped me out a lot through this process and then just so big shout out to Amanda as well. And also my wife. <laughs> and I am not thanking just because Brad thanked his wife. <laughs> no, my wife's a shit. She knows that. I tell her most of the time, except when I'm right uh, about stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't do anything. That Which do, is never. The problem is, is that I'm just right just too gosh darn much. And that's a big problem that I'm working on. It's my cross to bear. Uh, but no, obviously, especially because we both have kids, if we didn't have supportive wives, uh, we wouldn't fucking be able to be here. So yeah, obviously that's, that's a huge part of it too. Absolutely. Um, no, so post Christmas, how, how was your Christmas? Pretty good. Good. Yep. Super quiet, relaxing, nice. That's big yeah. because a lot of people I feel like now have to go to like a billion different fucking houses for, for holidays. And I am anti that, especially when you have kids, because we have kids anytime. You have to go anywhere. It's just a whole production. You know what I mean? Yep. And then you got to go from one place to the next place to the next place and just cause a little bit of stress. So to be able to have a holiday where you can kind of chill a little bit, I think that's I think that's pretty nice. It was, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was pretty nice. So today's episode, um, we Brad and I have been contacted by, and we've also contacted uh, people that we've met, worked with, are friends with, whoever that have dealt with different pieces of mental health and that they've overcome some incredibly uh, substantial obstacles to be who they are today. Excuse me. And we wanted to create something on our podcast and we call it the Overcoming Adversity series. So um, every so often we'll have some episodes, episodes peppered in here where we talk to somebody that's just overcome some significant adversity and we just want to talk to them about their story how they got through it ask them a lot of questions and things like that um just because again i can think of i don't know how many people uh, especially veterans that I, I that i've served with that have just done something incredible with the shitty cards that they were dealt and today's episode of uh the the first overcoming adversity series was determined by you well, yes. so you, so can you tell us and tell me a little bit about who we're about to have on here? Yes. So a gentleman, uh, named Lonnie Bedwell, mm -hmm. um, he is totally blind, um, due to a hunting accident. Mm -hmm. Um, and I <clears throat> met Lonnie through the blind center, um, at the Heinz VA hospital. And he kind of does adaptive sports. He does all his other stuff. And he's like, Hey, you want to come skiing? And I was like, never been skiing. Let's give it a shot. And I flew out to Denver, um, or Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and I went skiing. Uh, and I, you know, it was something that I thought I could never do. And he has just inspired me. You know, he's, in, he's the inspiration behind the Appalachian Trail. Um, mm -hmm. and he, he's shown me that just 
just because I lost my vision does not mean I lost who I am as a person. Yeah. It's got to be so, man, that's fucking invaluable. And then for him to help you do something that you didn't think was fucking possible. Yep. Because then once you do it, I mean, that just opens up your mind, that builds that builds your confidence, that lets you know that, hey, like you said, I can still do whatever the fuck I want if yep. I want to do it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so that's how you met Lonnie. Yeah. And so he, um, he's big into extreme sports. Extreme sports, mountain climbing, and uh, like whitewater rafting. And mm-hmm. first um, totally blind person to kayak the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. That's fucking insane. And yeah. then as far as the mountain climbing, he hasn't done all seven summits, but he's, he's done six of the seven summits. Six, I believe I so. I guess we'll give him a pass mm-hmm. for doing six out of seven. I climb up a hill and I'm like, <laughs> I need to go get Starbucks. Dude, so, I look at a hill and like, I need to go get start Starbucks. breathing heavy. And you're just like, <laughs> man. Dude, I've had that where I've, go- I've gone up my stairs and then you, I'm just like, oh man, why am I breathing like this? This isn't good. Uh, and so the... He's done six of the seven summits, and he's going to be doing, was it Kilimanjaro or something you said? I think Everest. Or Everest, sorry, uh, yep, Everest. I think yeah. Everest is the last one. That is fucking insane. Yeah. And it's so cool to talk to somebody that has overcome an obstacle like that and has still done so much where if you weren't visually impaired, if you weren't blind, to do those things is insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then for him to be able to take something that, that people, many might consider is something that would slow him down and he, and he actually fucking becomes, uh, he does way more crazier shit. Like that's an amazing lesson. And I think it's a really good way to start our podcast off for 2023. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm glad you got him on here, man. Um, so what we're going to do is he is going to uh, call in here, and when we get back, we will be talking with Lonnie Bedwell. All right, here we are with Lonnie Bedwell. Lonnie, again, I cannot thank you enough um, for being with us today. So thank you yeah, again. Yeah, you're welcome, Matt. Um, Lonnie, if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing your story with our listeners, you know, like who is Lonnie Bedwell and kind of where did you get at, um, like where you are today? Well, Lonnie Bedwell was raised in a little town of Pleasantville, Indiana, population 120, if you count the dogs and chickens. And after uh, high school and a couple of years of college, I uh, joined the military and enlisted in the Navy as a nuclear-powered machinist mate, volunteered, and was selected for submarine service. So I spent a total of nine years in the Navy. I went through the uh, nuclear power program, spent a couple of years as a staff instructor, then five years on the USS Oklahoma City, SSN 723 fast attack submarine out of Norfolk, Virginia. Got off of active duty in 1994, went into the Army National Guard into the 2nd and 150th Field Artillery Unit in Bloomington, Indiana. And three years to the day that I got off of active duty, I was involved in a hunting accident that took my eyesight instantly and uh, totally lights out. I refer to myself a lot of times as LOL or lights out Lonnie. And I do that that way when people (laughs) do think, uh, you know, they type a text LOL, you know, they'll have a nightmare thinking about me. (laughs) So, but uh, uh, I got, uh, I ended up as a single father raising my three girls after that. 
didn't go to a blind rehab center until 2010, December 2010, I believe it was, in 2011. That's when I got introduced to adaptive sports. And since 2011, I've been doing a lot of adaptive sports, uh, outdoor adventure, and have gotten into uh, motivational speaking. And that's where I'm at today. So quick question then, based on what you just talked about, I mean, from a mental health perspective, so you, you got out, uh, you finished your active duty time, and shortly thereafter, you were involved in that hunting accident that, that took your eyesight, correct? Yeah, three years. Three years to the day I got off the back to do this. When three I was years. Yeah. Like, what what did that do to your your state of mind? Because I would imagine uh, what would happen after you had gone through, you'd served your country, you'd, you'd made it through all of that, and then you suffer this accident that took something away from you. I mean, how did you deal with that initially? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was challenged because it was just instant daylight to instant dark. And I went from weighing about 181 and 182 pounds down to 129 pounds, drinking in sure shakes like they were candy, uh, just in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. Couldn't get rid of the headaches and the pain in my eyes. But, uh, you know, I really struggled. You know, I, I'm not going to lie about it. I struggled with just trying to overcome it first and then, then the aspect of, okay, you know, now that I'm blind, how am I going to be daddy? How am I, uh, you know, what are my girls going to think of me? How am I going to do anything? Right. And I was so fortunate to have an incident with my youngest daughter. You know, uh, you mentioned uh, the book. You know, I have a book, but you haven't mentioned it, I guess, yet. But I have a book out there that tells the story of my daughter helping me mow. And I was so fortunate that that happened so quickly after losing my eyesight. It was literally within two months that it really helped put my feet underneath me. Not to say I still didn't have struggles. I still didn't yeah. do that, but it, it was huge in taking me from this oh, crap, you know, what am I going to do um, kind of aspect. And this mindset that I heard someone else say they had when they was losing their eyesight kind of that mindset that, you know, I'm the next afraid to take a step because they were afraid the next time they took that step that it's going to tip them off the end of the world. You know, and my daughters helped me take that step and realized that the world is still there. Yeah. That was one of the most terrifying parts about your story that I read, in my opinion, was the fact that you have three daughters. I only have two daughters, and that scares the shit out of me enough as it is. So the, fact that, the fact that you were dealing with all of this stuff and also raising three daughters at the same time, like, I couldn't even imagine. But then from that other perspective, the, the lesson that I have to, again, just imagining and making assumptions here, the lessons that your daughters had to have learned by watching you deal and overcoming these obstacles. And then moreover, after overcoming these obstacles, doing, in my opinion, excuse my language, ridiculous shit, just climbing all the mountains and kayaking through the Grand Canyon and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the message that you're putting out there is, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, no excuses. <laughs> it seems like that's the biggest, what would you say? The, the biggest messages that you are trying to put out there through your story and what you're doing now is? Well, the biggest message to me is to simply believe in yourself. 
and realize that you still can and realize that you still have purpose, immense value, and you're needed. You know, and that's that to me is the thing. You know, I think a lot of times it, t- it takes you this aspect of, you know, I'm worthless. Not, not, not at all. Not at all. You know, and uh, that's the message to me. Uh, the biggest message to me is more than uh, than just get out there, put, pull up your bootstraps and move on. Uh, you know, because you get that message from a lot of people. You know, just pull them up, get on, get up, get on with it. You can't deal deal, or you know, you're not going to change it. Which there is some of that aspect, I guess, but it, it truly starts with, in my opinion, from that mental health aspect, is just because I lost my eyesight, I didn't lose my vision. Our true vision is within us, our heart or mind or soul or spirit. And I personally believe I gained vision. But just because something happens to you that really throws you back and, and changes your norm, who you think you are or what you think you were, uh, you know, that's, it's not, you know, that's, it, it doesn't devalue you. And once again, you still have immense value. You still have immense worth and you can do so much more than you think you can, so much more than others think they can. And it doesn't take a disability to do this. I mean, that's everyday life. You know, the, the fact that I lost my eyesight it makes me no different than anyone else out there struggling through trying to realize uh, how to overcome anything, any type of adversity you have in your life. So I think it's there. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful point to make too, just because, so on, on our podcast, we talk a lot about mental health. We talk about depression, suicide, things that plague the veteran community a lot. And, and a couple of uh, fundamental pieces that seem to kind of be similar across the board is like that sense of worth that you were talking about. And it almost kind of seems to me like it's a little bit of an identity crisis of, of sorts in that you were this person, whether it's like you were in the military, you were in the army, you were in the Marines, you're in the Navy, whatever. And now you're not anymore. And that in and of itself causes issues for some people, much less it's like, this was my identity. Then now this is my identity now and having to adjust to what that identity is now. And it seems like when it, when we're talking with veterans that have been through a lot of things or anybody that's lost any of their senses, that's lost a limb, that's lost anything like that, it really seems like the difference between the people that are able to persevere and the people that aren't is having that mentality that this is not something that can stop me. This is something that I have to work through because this is who I am now. Uh, would you say that you had some struggles as far as what your identity was when you had the vision loss for those years before you actually, you said what, 2010 was when you went to the, uh, that program you were talking about. So there was like 13 years between when you lost your eyesight and then you went to a place to, to get, to get something done about it. Did I hear that right? Well, well, that's the truth in the, in the time frame to go to the blind rehab center. I did, I didn't go yeah. to a rehab center for 13 years because of raising those girls. I didn't want to go until my youngest sure. graduated high school, but you know, to your point, you know, it, the gun, the loss of my eyesight ended my military career and the loss of eyesight at the same time, you know, which kind of, you know, you, you see that a lot for people injured in combat, you know, I have the injury and, the, and so they kind of lose a double identity crisis, if you will, at the same time. But uh, I think, I truly do believe, and I'm going to 
kind of go two ways with this. I want to answer both questions there, if you will, or both points. I, I was so lucky that my daughter helped me, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll tell the story here briefly, if I, if I may, you know, I was, I was little, yes. two months after losing my eyesight, I was lying on my couch in the other room with my, you know, back on the couch, left foot on the floor, just tapping the floor, you know, thinking about those girls, just fighting back tears. And I finally had the strength to get up. I had no mobility training at the time, but I knew I had to get up. So I went to the closet, took the handle out of the broom, out the back door I went. I was just moving that broom back and forth in front of me like we would our canes today. And a few steps into the yard, I was completely lost, but I kept going, ran into the edge of my little field. And I knew that because the weeds were up to my chest. I started going down the edge of my little field until I sensed something out in front of me. And I started swinging that broomstick out in front of me. And I took a couple of steps out into the weeds, into that field, and hit my little barn, just lowered my head, fought more tears, turned around, started going across the yard. When my youngest daughter, Bug, who was five years old at the time, you know, stopped me and said, Daddy, yeah, just ask me. He said, Daddy, what's wrong? And I told her nothing. And she said, yeah, there is. And I said, well, I'm a little, I'm just a little frustrated. I heard her stomp her foot. And she deepened her voice and like, Daddy, why are you frustrated? You know? <laughs> like, so I told her, I said, because I can't get into that bar without walking through chest high weeds and I can't see the mold anymore. And she simply just said, I'll help you. She said, you know, I'll help you. I'm like, why? She said, I'll help you, Daddy. So, you know, I just all these what ifs going through my head, you know, I'm blind or five in a way. And I'm supposed to be helping you, not you helping me. And what if you get hurt? Or, or what if I can't? You know, as I stood there, all these what ifs flying through my head, you know, still fighting back these tears. All of a sudden, I heard these words, trust me, you can do it, trust me. I guarantee that girl didn't hear it, but say it, but I heard it as plain as day. I looked down at her and said, okay, girl, if you got the guts, take my hand, lead me to the garage. She took that finger, my left pointer finger, led me around to the garage. We hopped on a ride in lawnmower. I put her on my lap, fired it up, and out to the garage door we went. All of a sudden, she said, stop. You know, so what's wrong? She said, the truck. <laughs> like, where, where is it? She's right, right there. <laughs> so, you know, puzzled, like, where is right there? So I had her point at it, felt her little arm, turned the wheel lawnmower, backed up, turned it the other way, and went around the truck. Then we dodged the tree, tree in the fuel tank and kind of cutting this a little faster. She drove me right out to that barn. I had to get off the house and go back up to, off the lawnmower, excuse me, go up the house and watch. I had fired the mower back up and engaged the blades, put my hand on the barn, and I mowed a lap. Held a broomstick against the barn, mowed a second, and mowed a third. And when I shut it off, I could hear her up the house just squealing. I walked up to her and she was jumping up and down and saying, You did it, Daddy. You did it. I knew you could do it. I knew you could do it. I picked her up and gave her a big hug and said, you're right. I love you. But now instead of fighting back tears, I had tears of hope flowing down my face. Because yeah. it's right then and there, you know, I realized I was still daddy. I still had worth and value. And all three of my girls at that point, they picked up, you know, they're like, daddy, get up off your knees and stand up. Get up off your knees and step. Get up off your knees because you can. And they changed my vision more than loss of my eyesight ever did and, and got me going. Little help, little differently, but got me going on a lot of things. And long before I went to the blind rehab center, you know, like I got the chainsaw again, started cutting firewood, uh, clearing fence roads. You know, my dad had taken all my chainsaws. But I went and got another one and started doing that. And horseback riding, fishing. I went hunting again the very next year with a guy I was in the accident with as my guide. And so we harvested my first turkey without eyesight. Then he was with me when I harvested the 
the biggest buck I've harvested. Nice little eight point with a bow. Uh, the biggest one I've killed with a bow since losing my eyesight. Got into building houses, something I didn't do beforehand. Uh, framing, sheeting, wiring, roofing. You know, I've, I've helped build over 30 homes, numerous decks, numerous garages, and just people giving me a chance. And the key to that is, is taking it. When someone offers you a way out, don't fight it. Take it. Take it. You know, and I think, and to kind of to my other point, is, you know, this new identity, this new adversity, if you will. I think the way you overcome adversity is to break it down. I love acronyms. You know, the A-D-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. The first part is simply acknowledging. It's the hardest part. Just like the first step up a mountain, your first paddle stroke down through a rapid. But acknowledging it. Acknowledging yeah. it. Somewhat accepting that there are those Ds, the differences and difficulties. But once you truly do, no matter how big or how small the adversity is, I don't I don't care who we are. This is everybody has to do this. You don't compare. You don't minimalize it. Oh, I don't mine's not as bad as yours, or you know, I don't have it as bad as you do. Acknowledge it. It's real. It's happening to you. Acknowledge it. Then once you do that, say, okay, here I am. It empowers you to do the VER. Visualize every route you can take. And then it gives you the S, what my daughters told me, the strength to stand up and step to where the ITY into your future, the life you can still live, the differences you can make, the people you can influence, and so on and so forth. That's where it starts, right there. I have so many follow-up questions, but I want to, I want to give, pass it over to you, Brad, before I, I ask just, more questions. I just want to know, like, what kind of pushed you into, you know, aside from your daughters and stuff, wanting to kayak the Grand Canyon and wanting to climb, you know, the seven summits of the world? What, what was that drive, that motivation? Like, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am now. That's my identity. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is it. Well... What does it look for me on a daily basis is everybody out there that hasn't done something, you know, that, that is stuck in that in that acceptance stage. Is look, uh, you know, that's the the people that motivate me, that drive me, or the people that are sitting back there behind and, and saying, I, I, "I can't do this. I can't do it." Yes, you can. But where it truly started for me was when I went to the blind rehab center while I was up there. They knew the backstory that I just told you guys about the building houses and mowing and stuff. And there was these younger veterans coming to the blind rehab center who were losing their eyesight as a result of combat and who knows what it is. And they simply asked, they said, Lonnie, we know blind people snow ski, but we've never done it here as a recreational outing. Will you be our guinea pig? I said, twist my arm. Yeah, let's go. If they can do it, we can do it. And then there was four four guys that, that I met up there who did lose their eyesight as a result of combat. One of them was asked by the Wounded Warrior Project to go to an event later that spring, early summer, water skiing, sailing, and cycling. And he asked them if I could go. And they naturally they told him, they said, no, Lonnie's not eligible for the Wounded Warrior Project. He's not a post 9-11 veteran. And he simply told him, he said, look, I'm not going. If you, if you don't take him, I'm not going. He's blind, you're not. And so they asked me to come as a, as a special guest for him. And I did. And, you know, once, once they asked me, they told me, you know, said, he's not going to come without you. I said, I'm there. I'm there. 
So I went and did that stuff. And none of this stuff did I do before I lost my eyesight. I mean, I did a little water skiing, but I didn't, I didn't do any sailing, didn't do any snow skiing, didn't, no kayaking, rock climbing, mountaineering, all that stuff. Uh, but I kept getting asked to events. But at that point, people started kind of asking me, said, Mom, you'll try it. And then just like the Grand Canyon, my parents asked me, you know, said, Lonnie, you know, the, the stuff you've done, why this? Well, I knew I was going to be accompanied on that trip by 15 other disabled veterans, all combat injured veterans. And four of them were going to be my guides. And I told them, I said, look, I said, these folks give me their best. They deserve my best. And I said, I have to do this. Every paddle stroke I make, every step I make is an effort to try to repay them for the sacrifices they made for me. Not just our country, but me. Me. Because, because of the sacrifices you guys have made and they have made, you know, I live in a country where I'm given an opportunity, where people believe in someone like myself without eyesight. And that's what drives me. Like I said, it's, uh, it, this became my next mission, my next duty assignment is to try to hopefully be a little bit of a lighthouse, if you will, which is humbling for me to say, and yet also connect with as many of these organizations as I can to create more opportunities for not only disabled veterans, but for everybody. And, uh, but it's just a passion and it's, it's what drives me. Well, I just got to say, you have been a lighthouse for me and you meeting you has absolutely changed my lifeline. It, it really has. You got me back on my feet and you've inspired me. Um, I'm actually getting ready to train for the Appalachian Trail this summer. Cool. Um, <laughs> awesome. Because, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's really, I, I seriously cannot thank you enough for just being, having such a huge impact on my life. So thank you. Thank you. And, and there were a few things that you brought up that I just want to touch on. I like, I love the adversity uh, acronym because there were so many points that you brought up in there, which I think are all so incredibly important, yet people don't think about it. And and they're all, they, they're, they sound simple in theory, like acknowledge, like acknowledge what's going on and just be upfront and honest with yourself and like, just being able to acknowledge something, like you said, that's oftentimes that's like the hardest step, that, that first step of acknowledging something. Yet that's an issue that so many people have is acknowledging whatever issue they have that they're dealing with because they want to deny it and they don't want to accept it. And it adds, you know, it, it, it sometimes it adds insult to injury literally and figuratively. But the other thing that you brought up, not comparing or, uh, or minimizing your issues um, that is that one really kind of struck a chord with me because especially when I look at the the military community, the veteran community, I see a lot of guys that they might need to apply for VA benefits because they've earned it. They something happened overseas, they saw combat, whatever. Either way, I mean, they got injured, but they always um, and I was one of them. I didn't file for VA benefits in the longest time, I'm a combat veteran, but I didn't because there was a lot of other guys that I knew that went through worse stuff than I did, that came home missing limbs or worse. And I would always compare my issues to somebody else's, which thus minimized my own issues. Did you find 
Uh, like, did you struggle with comparing your issues to others when you lost yeah. your vision and minimizing it and things like that? Yeah, yeah, you know, and and, uh, and I did, and and you know, I, I I hurt a hand when I was in the military as well, you know, and and stuff, and and I remember I was talking to some gentlemen, and, and they told me, said, so, Lonnie, you know, kind of your to your point, said you deserve this. Said you do. You guys realize, or do you realize? They were saying this to me that every senator, congressman, representative, the steps foot steps foot in the halls of Congress, whether they served in the military or not, if they twist their ankle walking down the hallway, they get the same disability benefit that you did or anyone else did that served in the military or in combat or in time of war. And I never thought of it like that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, whoa, really? And I said, yeah. And, and you know, they're like, you deserve this. It's put in place for you and, and, and for all of us. And it truly is. And it's, uh, it's not taking away from somebody, you know, at, at all. And quite frankly, in a lot of ways, it, it doesn't just benefit you. It can benefit your children. It can benefit your family, you know, from benefits like, uh, uh, you know, poss possibly getting benefits for college for your, for your children. And mm -hmm. it's something that, that it was put in place as a thank you for your sacrifice, not as a, oh, so I feel so sorry for you or, you know, take this, please. It's, it's a thank you. And it's a thank you that is deserved you've you've earned it so please take it you know and and like i said don't compare don't compare because you're not taking away from someone else by taking it you're not and that's the thing you have to realize as well you're benefiting others and by taking it it also continues to benefit other people you know if people don't take advantage of these services and these opportunities some of them can go away they truly can and so mm -hmm. it's by taking advantage of them and showing that, that there is the need for for others that that helps. So yeah, think about that. It's a whole thing, you know. That, and that comparison thing, like you said, I, literally, my father, for example, you know, my dad, you know, seventy eight years old, and he, where he still gets out there and cuts a little bit, but he has to take breaks more. You know, you know he was going on to me literally just a few months back, and. Well, I guess I'm not the old, not the man I used to be, and you know, I was kind of struggling with that stuff. And I said, "Dad, I said you might not be able to do this, but don't take away your value." I said, "Look at how my children, your grandchildren, and how your great grandchildren react around you. How they constantly want to talk to you and learn and gain knowledge from you." I said, "I contend that you probably are more valuable today." in some aspects than you were before when you could do all these other things. It's just your norm has shifted, but your value has never decreased. It's always so easy to compare uh, not only to other people, but to past versions of ourselves. And one of the mm -hmm. things we talked about in a, in a previous episode was just how terrifying things like nostalgia can be because the way that our brains operate, we literally only remember sometimes the good parts and, and forget the worst parts. So, you know, it's kind of an unfair comparison. So I definitely, again, just really agreed and appreciated that point you made about not comparing or minimizing things. Now, a couple of things I wanted to ask you too. So you, you, you talked about a lot of these things that you've been doing, hunting, building, uh, and everything like that. 
What kind of accommodations, if any, have you needed to make so you were able to do those things? Like, did you just jump into it like you like you were saying earlier when it came to mowing and you were just like, you know what, there's a chainsaw, I'm going to chop this tree down and see what happens. Like, how did you work up to being able to do those types of things? Well, you know, my daughters were kind of helping me learn to love a lot. Uh, you know, I had to learn to drive a nail again, literally, you know, yeah. Every time I swung a hammer, I, I was hitting the nail. Most of the time, it was the ones on my fingers. But oh, <laughs> you know, but I got I got to the point where I could drive a nail again with a hammer, and it just it just took those steps. And and you know, I just went and got to push more, and I figured out well, I'm not good at pushing it to figure out where I'm going, so I'm going to pull it all the time and use my broomstick or my cane and and pull it behind me. And you know, and people ask me, you know, how how can you tell you know? if you get in the water and I said, well, it's easy. My feet get wet or the lawnmower goes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and and so uh, it's just that, sure, it takes me longer to do some things, but, you know, uh, when it comes to building houses, one of the big things that was huge for me is a talking tape measure. You know, I've got a tape measure that's accurate to within 16th of an inch up to 16 feet. And, uh, the rooms that I'm in right now, I, I built after losing my eyesight. I literally added double the size of my house after losing my eyesight. And oh. I did everything with the exception. I didn't lay the foundation block. I put down the flooring, framed it, uh, wired it, insulated it, plumbed it. You know, I had some help with some of these things, but a lot of it, uh, I had to, ha- had to have someone help me set the trusses. I sheeted, decked it, uh, and then had people come help me roof it because I wouldn't be able to do it enough to keep from damaging the rain, but it's uh, it's just doing it. It's the thing about it that I tell a lot of people too is I, I I'm going to use myself as an example. Is I might have lost my eyesight, but I didn't lose my knowledge. I know how to do stuff. I just got right. to figure out a different way to do it. And you know that's goes with all of us. And that leads me to to three more things. Three and I'm, there's going to be some acronyms in here. But I think there's three emotions that hold every human being back more than any, if you want to call them all emotions. That, and that is foolish pride, fear, and pity. There's never been a human being walk the face of this earth that didn't have somebody help teach them, guide them along the way, along their path as they were growing up. And there's nothing wrong with being proud of things that you do or have accomplished. But when your pride gets to be so overwhelming that you cannot humble yourself to once again ask for a hand up, not a hand out, a hand up, ask for a little assistance, a little guidance, then your pride becomes foolish. And, you know, that foolish pride also can lead into that fear. You know, I'm so proud. Well, if I'm, I'm not a man, if I can't do it by myself, I'm, you know, I'm not, a, you know, all this stuff and and that leads into the fear f-e-a-r which i like to say false evidence about reality and if i can't do it by myself they're going to make fun of me or they're going to think i'm weak or they're going to think i'm this or that no not true you know and most people love to help other people the, take people in the military for the majority of all of us we sacrifice for others we want to give of ourselves for others and we still do when we get out, and we still can. Find a way to volunteer. 
Mm -hmm. I guarantee there's someone out there that can use your help and you can still teach somebody and do things for others. And people want to do the same for us. So, and then also that, well, you know, I might not succeed. So what? I guarantee, I, I like to say this aspect of that, the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is quitting. And I guarantee mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and you and you, you only you know if you're giving it 100 percent. And if you give yourself 100 percent to try to do something, you might not reach the pinnacle of what you're wanting to do, but you're going to learn from it. And if you learn something about yourself, how not to do something, which I tell people I'm the most successful person in the world because I always figure out how not to do something. But but, you know, you, you learn something about yourself, learn how not to do something or a different way to do something. How? Which I guarantee you, you're going to learn. Every time, if you truly try, you're going to learn something. How is that a failure? It's not. So, you know, so, or, you know, oh, if I do that, I might get hurt. Might get hurt? Well, the first time a baby takes a step, he's going to fall down. But does he keep stepping, getting up and stepping? Yeah, he might. But most of the time, you're not. You take every precaution you can. But then foolish pride and fear lead to the worst one of all, pity. P-I-T-Y. I like to say it's poor information to yourself. You know, I'm blind. I'm worthless. I'm blind. I'm useless. I'm blind. I'm not a man anymore. Ah, oh, bullcrap. Bullcrap. <laughs> you know, and, and that's just, that's poor information to yourself. And the key is, and I know it's hard, is to try to control your mind instead of letting your mind control you. And that's hard to do. I get that. But it starts with humbling yourself. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with asking for a hand up. Absolutely. And 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 I've always uh, been an advocate of like, you know, ego is just so destructive and it can be so incredibly destructive no matter how successful you are at something. So yeah, the foolish pride, the fear of looking uh, dumb or whatever, like all those things can just, can truly destroy a person and failure you know, any successful person, depending on what your your definition of success is, in my opinion, any successful person I've ever talked to usually talks about how important and crucial failure is to their process of whatever it was that they achieved. And, and Thomas Edison, I'd pull this up really quick to make sure I didn't uh, quote it wrong. He had that famous quote, I have not failed 10,000 times. I have not failed once. I have succeeded in proving that those 10,000 ways will not work. And when I've eliminated the ways that will not work, I will find the way that will work. So I think yeah. that it just seems like it's so important for growth is to have these quote failures end quote, because you're putting yourself out there and you're trying to do something and you're showing yourself that you're brave enough to try doing something regardless of what happens. And then I, I would imagine the confidence that you get through the, the times that you do succeed or not succeed, but just proving to yourself that you're brave enough to try something, you know, that confidence is, it has to be incredibly important. And it's one of the things that I saw on, uh, on your website, you talk about embracing life with confidence and courage. And one of the questions that I had, uh, in regard to all of the extreme sport things that you have done, you know, which, what moment gave you the most fear if any as far as the extreme sports whether it was kayaking through the colorado river uh the the mountain climbing any of that mm -hmm. stuff if you had to pinpoint one moment what would you think that was uh wow 
uh, <laughs> I really don't. Probably the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, when I got on the Grand Canyon the first time. I'd only had 14 days of whitewater experience under my belt at the time. And I'd only been kayaking for about nine months. Uh, no, about a year, I guess it was, about a year. And it was the biggest water I'd ever been on in my life, the biggest, pushiest volume water I'd been on in my life. And uh, yeah, it was like, oh crap, what I get myself into here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to keep going. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. But that, you, yeah. you just knew you had to keep trying, keep building. My next question for you uh, was. You know, in those moments of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty, when you're when you're doing these incredible feats, like whether it's climbing a mountain, whether it's um, kayaking through the Grand Canyon, when you hit those moments of fear, if they do pop up, where does your mind go to help you persevere through that moment? Yeah, it's uh, it's like I said. I think the time in the military did help me out. The drills and drill and drill. I distinctly remember going through drills and training at times where things used to be chaos, just trying to do this, do that. Then all of a sudden, it just like flipped a light switch. Things seemed to go in slow motion, but yet I was doing things faster. And so now, you know, I, I truly do stop and think. I, I remember getting pinned upside down against the wall on the Zambezi River, you know, and it's just total chaos. And I almost ejected, and I, I just literally stopped and, no, no, not yet. Slow down. Slow your mind down and think. And, uh, you know, that's what I try to do is just slow it down because you react. But the outcome might not be any better, but the potential of the outcome is better if you can truly slow it down. And I try to do that for one. And then I also turn and I focus on on some of these folks that I've met, you know, and think, OK, this is why I'm doing this. Come on get strength from them, get strength from them. And I think of so many that I've met, you know, and one, there's one guy, a really good friend of mine, actually, that I was climbing the mountain with out in, the, in Colorado when he had lost his eyesight due to, an IED, due to an IED blast in Afghanistan. And we were going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro together. And just a few weeks before we were to go over there, he developed spinal meningitis due to his injuries. Oh, and that took his hearing leaving him totally blind and deaf. And the only way we could communicate with him at the time was to spell letter by letter in his hand. And I distinctly remember telling him I'm sad, but I said, you know, I'm not going to climb until you can climb with me. And I could, I was on the phone with the caregiver beside him, and I could hear him repeating every letter and every word. And then when he heard, you know, the gist, he figured out what I was saying. He yelled at me. He literally yelled. He said, no. He said, no, no, no. You know, screamed at me. He said, you climb it for me. You climb it for us. You climb it for all of us. And I was just, I was just blown away. You know, total silence, total darkness. You know, we still shared a vision. And uh, that was, you know, uh, to prove the potential that's in each and every one of us. It's not, it's not about me and him being on top of the mountain. So my question, Lonnie, is you, you've done so much amazing things. Is, is there anything big that you're, you're preparing for next or, or what's next for you? Next is climbing Mount Everest, and I'm doing Mount that Everest. in April. And, doing that in April and May, and I'm being joined, if you will, by a, a blind female veteran named Sean Cheshire, who's she's just wicked bad. She's just awesome, and uh, she has started a, a foundation called Choosing to See, 
And under the banner I'm going, you know, I was kind of doing it under a thing with the Blind Veterans Association, awareness to them, and we called Mind Sightless Summits. So we kind of combined it, and on her website, I think it's going to be called Choosing to See Sightless Summits. So people will be able to follow both of us along. We're doing it together, if you will. We're going to be there at the same time, but we're doing it with two different outfitters. So I'll have a primary guide, and she'll have a primary guide. But we'll be there at the same time, hopefully, and you'll be able to track both of us as we go up the mountain. That's incredible. Wow. That's so bad. So, uh, and if people, where do people go to track that when you guys are doing it? Uh, a, a website called Sightless Summits, S-I-G-H-T-L-E-S-S Summits. And you can go to that website now and learn, you know, look at a little bit more of our history, both of our histories. And uh, between that website and the Choosing to See website, uh, you'll be able to see both of us uh, doing it. And, uh, Kind of, we'll keep updating a little bit of training stuff where we will be. And uh, I've got a climb in Mexico here coming up to climb an 18,000 foot peak down there for training. And, uh, but we, we fly into, we fly out of the country on April 3rd. Uh, we into Kathmandu, then out of Kathmandu on the 6th of April uh, to Lukla. And then we start hiking to base camp at that point. And that's when we'll have our GPS tracking on and we'll leave messages. And I believe she's going to be in there right about the same time frame. I know we'll be at base camp at the same time. Now, whether we climb the mountain kind of together or completely separate, I, I don't know. Uh, but we'll be at base camp at the same time and, and we'll be tracking each other and, and trying to inspire each other, you know. And she's she's just incredible. She's awesome. And uh, doing doing amazing things. So that's what you, you said 18,000 feet is just the training. You yes. got to do that just for training. See, I just get on an elliptical for about five minutes and put it on like six or something, but yeah, that's a little, okay. That's, <laughs> that seems a little intense. Holy shit. Um, Oh, oh Lonnie again, I can't thank you enough just for making the time to talk to us today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or, or say, uh, before we wrap this up? Well, first and foremost, thank each and every one of you. I want to thank you guys for the platform because uh, it wasn't for people like you doing these podcasts to help us get our our message out. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do that, and we just hope to make a difference. You know, and and you know, everyone believe in yourself. You know, believe in in your purpose. I know I've said this earlier. But that's the one big thing for me is just believe in who you are, your value, the immense value that you still have and worth and and the things you can change. And, and realize that the only thing, and I told my daughters this a lot, you know, I, life in yourself is a lighthouse. The only thing you can control is how bright you shine your light. Everybody out there is at the helm of their own ship. And as many people as you want to help or influence, you know, the only way you can do that is by shining your light as brightly as you can. They're, they're, they're doing a thing. But if you if you don't do that for, for yourself, then that light won't shine at all. And, and you will, well, then it won't. You know, they won't have that light to look toward if you if that all makes sense. And oh, yeah. each one of us, each one of us have, you know, I think of this, you, each one of us, 
has this unique set of gifts that nobody else in the world has. We can share gifts with others. You know, we might have some similar gifts, but nobody has this unique package of gifts that you have or that I have. And that's another one of the things that makes you so immensely valuable. And your gifts then become mine if you're willing to share them. And mine can become yours if you're willing to look and listen. So yeah, just uh, yeah, I just can't what? I can't say believe in yourself. Go ahead. And to to add on to what you had just mentioned too, I mean, even a little further, it's like, not only do I agree that everybody has their own individual gifts, but I think so much of the time, you may not even realize those gifts until you're confronted with significant hardship, with significant, with, with struggle, with pain, with something that makes you realize what that gift really is. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of what I think, but, um, yeah, and, before, and you never know who's watching you. You never know who's watching right? you. And, and I'll give you an example of this, if I may. I'd like to say, I don't want to take too much of your time either. But, you know, I was out here. You know, I, I have a, you know, seven and a half mile loop out here, sometimes more, sometimes less. But there's a seven and a half mile loop that I'm out here walking and jogging by myself all the time. And I was out there doing it one day and I literally walked back, got back to my house, sitting on the front steps of my house, taking my shoes off. And getting, and getting a uh, drink of water. And a car pulls into the driveway. And gentleman gets out of his car and said, Lonnie, he said, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. But I live over here in the next town over in Linton. And he said, I've been out here and I've watched you do this and watched you do this. And he said, I have no disabilities. But I was in a spot that, and he broke down in tears, just started bawling like a baby. And he said, Watching you made me realize so much and said, thank you. Come up, trip my hand, give me a hug, got in his car and left. And I had no idea who it was to this wow. day. No idea. And, wow. and so, you know, if you think there's nothing, guys, gals, don't ever think that you have no value. Just don't because people... People are watching you. People need you. You know, you have to realize that we need you. You know, I, I, and one of the greatest gifts that I have to me of losing my sight. I, there's so many of you know, like I can't see people, so I can't prejudge. I, I could care less what you look like. I could care less. What a gift! I don't care if you got tattoos from head to toe, the color of your hair. I, I, I don't care nothing about that. You know, I got to talk to you to get to know who you are. But you know, it, it, it just truly made me. You know. An incident I can remember sitting here with my mother, talking, sitting at the table with my mother, and I heard the kids in there jumping around, screaming and squealing. My mom, she said, she hollered at the girls, girls, you stop, you settle down. I said, no, mom. I said, please. I said, you stop. I said, you see this stuff on the walls around us? You see all this stuff? She said, yeah. I said, well, I can't. I said, but I can hear that laughter. I can hear that joy. I said, there's nothing wrong with liking nice things, Mom, but those things can be replaced. We can't. And then when that silence goes away, it's going forever. And I said, I want that around me as much as I can have it around. 
And it, it really proved to me the value of each one of us. And what's truly important in this world is us. And what we can do to help each other. Lonnie, I don't think I could have asked for a better guest to kick off uh, 2023. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story here today. I know that um, for anybody that's interested, you can go to LonnieBedwell.com. Uh, you can also check out his book. It's on Amazon and other places, 226, How I Became the First Blind Person to Kayak the Grand Canyon. Lonnie, if anybody else wants to follow you or just be kept up to date with with all of the things that you're doing are there any other ways that they could get a hold of you or, or follow you yeah like i said simply on my website you know they can they can do that there's a way to email me through there and that site was summit's website choosing to see website facebook uh you know i have a uh, facebook out there uh i try to try to post stuff to all the time it's a public figure facebook so you just have to like it uh, uh and and I absolutely don't care to give out my phone number, and I will. And if anyone ever has something that, that I can help them with, please call. Brad can attest. I might be a little slow sometimes of getting back to you, but I will get back to you. And uh, it's my phone number is 812-691-0446. And my email is Lonnie, L-O-N-N-I-E, dot R dot bedwell b-e-d-w-e-l-l at att.net alpha tango tango.net lonnie.r dot bedwell at att.net and uh, if i'm I, i'm usually responding if i'm home i'll pick it up if if i'm uh, uh, out doing something i try to respond within 24 hours if i'm at an event where i have no reception then please please uh uh be, be forgiving of me and be patient with me uh, because I'll, I will get back with you to you when I can. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you again, yes, Lonnie. Thank you so much, Lonnie. We really appreciate it. It's been an honor, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. My honor. And uh, once again, to all the men and women out there in our serving, my, <laughs> my uh, sincere gratitude and uh, appreciation and respect. Thank you all so very, very much for what you do for me. Thank you. How do you feel now that you got to talk to him? Because before we talked to him, you were telling me how like you knew a lot about him. Obviously you went to uh, the, am I saying this right? The Blind Rehab Center, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You went to that, you went there with him, you got to know him a little bit. I mean- I, I actually didn't meet him there. I met him, The he went and the, I went, quite some time after and the employees kind of hooked us up together i went skiing with him um in colorado but i feel he dude he's such a, a like humble human being it's, it's it blows my mind i i didn't realize how humble he was like i knew he was humble but that the level it, it just well, like he said, it's really important to stay, it's incredibly important to stay humble. No matter what you've achieved and what you've done, you have to stay humble. And, and, and it's incredible that he's been able to maintain that. Yeah. But man, like, like I was saying a little bit ago, like, I kind of feel like a piece of shit. I know he said <laughs> not, don't compare. I know he said don't compare, but I'm just like, you know, I'm thinking about going to the gym and I'm just like, 
know, I get to the gym and I'm on my headphones and I'm like, I'm not going to the gym today because I don't have my headphones. And then I just fucking go back home. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Lonnie is doing a, a training thing uh, where he's going to climb fucking 18,000 feet. Uh, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh, man, I got to stop being so lazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like he said, he he's uh, a lighthouse. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he really was. He was my beacon of hope. Like he really did pick me up off my feet. I think more than more than he even understands. And it's important to have those people that just set the tone. They're just out there and they're just getting the fucking work done yep. because people that understand hard work, that respect hard work, they see that. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through. When you see Lonnie Bedwell and you see what he's been through and what he's done, how do you not have an immense amount of respect for a man like that? You know what I mean? Because he's putting the fucking work in. He's not talking about it. I mean, he does it with the motivational speaking side of it, which came after he did all the ridiculous shit. You know what I mean? So understandably so, like, I would ask him, like, can you be a motivational speaker? Because when it comes to motivational speakers, and we didn't get into it too much, I feel like you get into a real sketchy kind of place. It can be kind of murky. Like, I definitely respect the people that are motivational speakers that have gone through some things and that's how they came to the place where they are a motivational speaker. Right. On the other end, you have people that, and I feel like you can almost tell, like they haven't been through those things, but they're doing it for like financial reasons. They're just trying to be a motivational speaker, like an influencer or whatever. So it was just really cool to be able to talk to him. I think that was a hell of a way to kick off the year, man. Yeah, dude. Um, I look forward to, doing more overcoming adversity series episodes uh so please if you like listening to stories like lonnie's and you want to listen to more um you know let us know you can reach out to us comment on our i'm fine uh facebook page and uh you know your opinions matter to us and it really helps us out a lot um so before we close this off i wanted to bring up uh a story to end on a high note this one uh happened in the uk so uh the title of this story five thousand people waited hours in the rain for a test to see if their cells could be donated to a five-year-old battling cancer uh so more than five thousand people queued for hours in the rain at a swabbing event in worcester uh to see if they were a match for a five-year-old boy who needed a life-saving transplant five-year-old oscar saxelby lee has a rare form of cancer, T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and quickly needed a perfectly matched stem cell transplant in order to survive. Having had several unsuccessful rounds of chemo, one was able to have an effect, and doctors told uh, Oscar's parents that a stem cell donor was needed super fucking quick. So Oscar's parents, Olivia and Jamie, uh, both tried to be donors, but were not matches. So Olivia, who's 23, pushed uh, had been pushed to her limits emotionally, but was doing her best to stay strong in order to protect uh, and project confidence in a little Oscar. So they reached out to their school, uh, Pitt Mason Primary, and they asked their school and their community for help. Um, and when they did that, they didn't expect 5,000 fucking people to show up in the rain just like just to get a cheek swab test to see if one of them would be would be a uh, would be a match so uh sure enough like i said five thousand people show up to this event just to get swabbed uh one would-be donor 
was Christine Smith, who decided to volunteer because a young man saved her life years earlier by doing the same fucking thing. Uh, and so it's just, it's a real beautiful story. And to end that story, uh, doing that event, a perfect match was found out of those 5,000 people gave Oscar another chance. So uh, never underestimate the power of, uh, of kind people in large groups. Very cool story. Absolutely. Now with that, Brad, do you have anything else you want to add, my friend? Happy New Year, man. Fucking 2023. 2023. Let's do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We cannot wait to have you back for the next. And uh, we hope you're enjoying a very happy new year without the post-holiday blues uh, with you and your family and your loved ones. So thank you again. Thank you.